to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight is our second Bible study in the book of and story of Jonah. Most people are familiar with the story of Jonah. He is well known as the prophet that tried to run from God and was uh, swallowed up by a great fish. Most people think of it as a whale, but the Bible says a great fish and was in that fish three days, three nights, and then went to preach to the people of Nineveh, okay? Um, but we are looking at this story not just in the areas that we're most familiar with, but looking specifically to see God in the manifestation of his character uh, in this story. And we've subtitled this Bible study series, Jonah, God is Gracious and Merciful. You know, the story of Jonah running from God, getting swallowed by the whale, all that kind of stuff kind of just catches our attention because of its unusualness. But this book is full of God's grace and his mercy. And so we're trying to point that out from week to week. Um, last study, a couple weeks ago, we dealt with chapter 1, and tonight we're going to be looking at chapter 2. And the title of the Bible study tonight is Helpless But Not Hopeless. Helpless But Not Hopeless. What does helpless mean? What is the meaning of the word helpless? John. Okay, you do not have any ability in yourself to get out of a situation. Okay. Any other thoughts about what it means to be helpless? He said, John did a pretty good job defining it. You cannot help yourself. All right. It's a good way to put it. Very simple. You want to help you. You want help. Okay. And there was just like, oh, I could use help, but I don't care. No, this is an area where you want help. You need help. And you can't do something yourself, all right? Um, I put down in a situation where you needed help, things are not the way you want them, perhaps very, very bad, but there's absolutely nothing you can do about it, okay? So, helpless but not hopeless is the title, so what is the meaning of hopeless? How is hopeless different from helpless? Hopeless, if you're hopeless, uh, the end result can be that you've given up, all right? John? Good way to look at it. Helpless, you can't do it for yourself, but hopeless, at least it seems like there's nobody that can do it for you. Okay? Not only do you have a need, not only are you in a difficult situation, and you can't do anything about it yourself, but you don't see any other help available. Okay? I mean, I really don't want to be helpless, but I definitely don't want to be hopeless. Okay? And, um, I'm sure all of us have felt helpless, you know, a number of times in our life because none of us can do everything that needs to be done. We've all been probably in situations where I'm in a jam, whether it's my fault or it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault, or it's just because I live in this messed up world and I can't get myself out. But we probably all experienced somebody else helping us in that situation. Uh, another person... Uh, somebody we know, maybe somebody we don't know, and definitely experience, hopefully, God helping us out. But it's a whole different thing to be hopeless. On your note sheet, I just have this one statement, which is really the whole focus of our lesson and the story, 
part of the story tonight is when you feel helpless, things are not hopeless if you turn to God. If you turn, because here's the thing. If you're helpless, and even if it seems hopeless, and it doesn't seem like there's any person that can help you, God is still there. And sometimes we get ourselves in a situation, especially when we get ourselves in a situation. It's like, well, yeah, I know God's there, but why would he help me? Because I brought this on myself. I mean, have you ever wrestled with that? And, And there are times God will let us deal with the consequences of our choices. That's how he helps us learn and grow. But when we believe the lie of the enemy that because we brought it on ourselves, even if I cry out to God, God's not going to respond, that's when it's really hopeless because we have nowhere else to go. But that is a lie because God always responds when people call out to him with a pure and honest, sincere heart. Okay? So anyway, we are in this series on Jonah. It's a very brief series. This is the second lesson. There's only going to be about five of them. Um, last lesson was titled, You Can Run But You Can't Hide, because that's basically what Jonah was dealing with. In chapter one is the part of the story that we're most familiar with, even if we weren't at the lesson two weeks ago, and that is God called to his prophet Jonah. He was already a prophet, and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, which was a major city in Assyria. I want you to preach to them because they are very, very evil, so evil that I've decided I want to speak to them, all right? Jonah did not want to go, and we delved into why that was so. They were a very wicked, evil people. They were enemies of the Israelites, of whom Jonah was a prophet. Um, they were known for terrible, terrible things that they would do to people. So just even fear for his life may have been one of the factors, but... When we get into the story later in chapter 4, we find out that the main reason Jonah didn't want to go is because he knew that God would forgive him if they asked him, and he didn't want God to forgive him. They weren't worthy of forgiveness. They didn't deserve it, which is true. But it's also true of Jonah, and it's true of me, and it's true of you. you know. And so he decided he was going to run away from the God of all the earth, and so he gets on a boat, heads uh, the opposite direction from Nineveh uh, to a place that was going to be about... if he actually reached his destination about 2,500 miles from Nineveh. Of course, he didn't reach his destination because God sent a great storm. The ship was in peril. The sailors, the captain, they're calling out to their gods. Nothing's happening. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And they say, everybody pray to your gods. And Jonah's asleep. And they wake up and say, what are you doing? We need you to pray for your God. Pray to your God too. And a series of events, they find out that Jonah is the source of the problem. He says, what is the deal? He says, well, I'm running away from my God. And he says, what do we need to do to get your God happy, to paraphrase it? He says, just throw me in the, uh, throw me in the sea. Now, they had more compassion on Jonah than Jonah had on anybody else, and they didn't want to throw him in the sea. So they kept on trying to row to land and do all kinds of stuff, and it didn't work. So they finally threw him in the sea. And even then, they're crying out to God, God, please forgive us. This is what he told us to do, and nothing else has happened. You know? And so they threw him in the sea, and the storm calmed. And because of that, it said that the sailors actually prayed to and offered sacrifices to and made vows to Jonah's God. Now, how long it stuck, we have no idea, but they did that. And um, we get to the end of chapter 1 in verse 17, and it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah's in a bad shape, Okay. By the time we get to the end of chapter 2 tonight, I'm just going to jump ahead and read verse 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So about three days later, God has the fish vomit Jonah out 
on dry land. All right. So Jonah's been through a terrible ordeal, but now he is delivered. What happened to bring about the deliverance? That's what we're going to look at tonight as we look at chapter two. Okay. So let's just read the first two verses at this moment anyway. Chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. That summarizes the whole thing right there. You know, when Jonah was on the boat, he didn't want to pray. He's running from God. All right. They throw him in the ocean and we're going to find out that he doesn't even pray immediately when he gets thrown in the ocean. It's not until he's at the very, very end about ready to die, basically having a near-death experience that he finally calls out to God. But that's what he did and God heard him and God answered so that's why it gets to the point that we've already made. When you feel helpless, things are not hopeless if you turn to God. But that doesn't mean that God's like some fairy god godfather with this wand that we can call up and say, hey, God, I want this or I need this or get me out of this jam. And he's just going to bing and it's all taken care of. You know, he's not some servant at our beck and call just to give us what we want, just to get us out of trouble because we ask for it. But he is there for us. And uh, we see in Jonah's story that it's much more complicated than, than that. But uh, again, starts out Jonah's in the fish. Verse 10 of chapter 2, he's out of the fish. What happened in between? God did some things. Jonah did some things. What God did was actually kind of tied to what Jonah did. So that's how we're going to look at it. We're going to see what God did, but then we're going to see what Jonah did that motivated God to do what he did. Okay. So first of all, we're going to read through the whole story. Then we're going to take a look at what God did. Back into chapter 2, verse 1 again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is a word for the grave, the place where the dead people go. He says, I was in the grave, figuratively speaking. Some people even think that maybe he actually did die. God raised him from the grave. Doesn't say that in Scripture. Could have happened, but he thought, he basically thought he was going to die. All right. And he says, and you heard my voice. That's the summary of everything that, um, the main thing that happened there. But then he jumps into a description of what happened once they threw him over the, over the, um, the, uh, rail of the ship. Verse three. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. The, the word for flood there is currents. In other words, he's, he's in the ocean and he's falling down and it's just twisting and turning him. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I just picture seaweed just all wrapped around him, okay? Um, verse 6, at the roots of the mountains... Um, in their view of the world, um, the world was made up of, anyway, this mass, and then there were mountains that came up out of that mass, and then the ocean filled in all around the mountains. So basically, if you went into the ocean, you went to the bottom, it was the roots of the mountain. So he says, I went about as far down as you could get, okay, on my way to death, all right? And um, he said, I went down, verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. They they felt like Sheol, the grave, was actually physically located down below the earth. 
And it was a place with bars, and once you went in there, you never came out because people died. They didn't come back to life, you know. And so that was kind of the, the pic, at least the picturesque, figurative way they looked at the world. He says, I went all the way to the bottom, and there was the, the gates of hell, the gates of the grave, and I was ready to enter in, okay? Um, yet you brought me up from the pit. Some translations translate that yet as but. All these things happen, but you brought me up. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. So this is what tells us that it wasn't until he got to the very, very bottom that he finally says, okay, God, I'm paying attention. Please help me. And God heard him and God answered, okay? And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So what did God do? What did God do? First of all, God put Jonah in the crisis. Jonah's in a crisis, and God put him there. I mean, Jonah recognizes this in verse 3. He says, you cast me into the deep. Now, if you read this story in chapter 1, verse 15, it says the sailors cast him into the sea. So is this a contradiction in the Bible? No. How do you explain that? Chapter 1 says the sailors cast him. Chapter 2 says you cast me. God used the sailors. In other words, God was behind it. God had a plan. This is what God wanted to happen. And since he was the one that had the sailors do it, he was ultimately responsible. But he used the sailors. Okay, yeah, the sailors were God's instruments. Now, who was to blame that he got cast into the deep? Jonah. Jonah. That's right. You know, he couldn't say it's all those sailors' faults. Well, God, it's your fault. But how many times do we get into trouble and we blame everybody but ourselves? I mean, you know, it goes all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it? Adam and Eve, they did what they did. God comes down and um, Adam says, well, God, it's that woman you gave me. And it's not just that woman, it's that woman you gave me. So he kind of blames God too, you know. And one says, no, it was that serpent, you know. I mean, we're good at passing blame. And we're good at blaming God. There's a verse I didn't put it in the notes that it's just so typical. I think it's, I think it's in Proverbs that it basically says that people make a mess of their lives and then they blame God for it. You know, and that is so true. Okay. So why did God do this? I mean, God not only cast him in here, he sent the storm to begin with, and then he made it worse and worse and worse until they had to do something, and then the sailors cast him in. Why did God do that? To get Jonah's attention? Okay, Vita? That's what you're saying, to get his attention? All right. So was it because God was angry? Was he wanting to punish Jonah? Nor what were you going to say? All right, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah wasn't headed that way, so God says, I'll get him there one way or the other. But that's a whole other point, too. We talked about that a little bit two weeks ago, that God could have just said, okay, Jonah, you just go your merry way. I'm done with you. I'm going to send somebody else. But he didn't. He didn't give up on him. God never gives up on his people. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't ever, you know, if, if one of his servants does not chooses to continue to ignore God and go their own way, that he won't raise somebody else up to do something. He can do that. But we definitely see that that's not his first choice. Okay. God was wanting to discipline him. 
God is not out to punish, but he does want, but he is willing to discipline. I put on your note sheet Hebrews 12, 5 to 11 at the end of the statement. God disciplines his children to steer them back to the right path. God is like a good parent. He will discipline his children. Okay? Um, and we're not going to read Hebrews 12, 5 to 11, but I encourage you to read it. He says, listen, you're going through some tough stuff. Um, <laughs> just treat it like God's disciplining you. Discipline is meant to train. It's meant to teach. It's meant to get you back on the right path. He says, how many of us had parents that disciplined us? We didn't like it. But if they did it right, it's because they did it for our own good. You know? And he says one of those things in Hebrews is like, the author of Hebrews says, you know, nobody likes discipline when they're going through it. And it's like, well, yeah, that's that's true. But God's doing it for a good purpose. Chris, you had your hand up. God sent the smelly boat? Okay. All right. So God disciplines his children to steer them back to the right path. So, you know, when we get into a crisis, and we, and we may even feel like, I didn't do anything to get into this. I don't deserve this. And that may be true. But, you know, sometimes we can be blinded to ourselves. We don't see it in ourselves, but we see it in other people, right? Have you ever, don't say any names, but have you ever seen someone that's like, why am I in this situation and blah, 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 blah. It's like, uh, I can tell you, but you won't like it because you did this to yourself. But they honestly couldn't see it. I've known a number of people like that, you know, and uh, we can be just as blind. So, when we get into a crisis, we need to, it's certainly okay to say, God, get me out of this, all right? That's all through scripture, and God responds to our cries. But we would be wiser to say, God, how did I get into this? Is, is that even on me? Is there something in my life that needs to change? You know, um, what do I need to do to get out of this situation? What can I learn from this? Sometimes God lets us get into situations, even if it's not our own fault, so we can learn a lesson. I think we see that in Paul's life when it says that he had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. He prayed, God, take it away. God, take it away. And God said, nope, I'm going to leave it there because you're going to learn something from it. You're going to learn that my grace is sufficient for me. And I look at it this way. If God's going to allow something difficult in my life so I can learn a lesson, I want to learn the lesson so he can take it away. So... You know, often I say, God, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? All right. All right, so God put Jonah in the crisis. Second thing, God listened to Jonah's call. We see that in verse 2. When he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Okay? Some translations said he listened to me. As I said before, God could have ignored him. God could have just written him off, said, Jonah, you had your chance. You know, and you decided to keep running away. And basically, Jonah was saying, forget you, Lord, you know. But um, when he says here, I called out of my distress and he answered me. Again, it, it could also be translated, he listened to me. When do you think that Jonah realized that God was listening to him? After he what? Well, after he got out of the crisis, he knew for sure he was listening to him. But do you think he realized God was listening to him all the way through? I mean, we don't know for sure. You know, we don't even know for sure exactly when he began to cry out to God. The text seems to indicate it wasn't until he got all the way down to the bottom and it's like, I'm at the end and he cries out to God. But the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes we feel like God isn't listening, but God is listening. Why is God silent sometimes? We get into a crisis, we're crying out to him, it's like nothing seems to be happening it's like, God, are you really there? 
Are you listening? If we believe God's word, we know he is listening, but why does he make it, why does he allow it to seem like he's not listening to us? Chris? Yeah, I mean, most everything we go through in life is a process. And God's allowing that process to work its way through. Yeah, Vita. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wants to purify us. He wants to do a work in us. Purification is part of that. And it goes back to what Chris says. It's a process. It needs to work its way through. And sometimes there's something we need to do. He's waiting on us sometimes. Okay? You know, I heard a really good illustration one time. You may have heard it too. It's pretty common. Um, It says... Uh, it's basically a statement that says the teacher is always quiet during the test. You know? And sometimes God is testing us, and a test is not to cause us to fail. A teacher that gives a test wants their students to succeed, but it's to see if they've learned what they're supposed to, and so God's the same way, but the teacher's always quiet during the test. And so I thought that was a pretty neat way of putting that. Yes? Yes. When God seems quiet, it tests our faith. Exactly, and Peter says a lot about that. The trials that come our way, James, Peter and James both. The trials that come our way, God's using it to mold and shape our faith to make it like gold. You know, if God answered our prayers and did exactly what we think we need him to do like that, it wouldn't require any faith, would it? Not at all. It's like Norris's testimony tonight. He's got surgery next week, but he's already thanking Jesus for what he's going to do. You know, that's an expression of faith. Last week we talked about the fact that God loves us too, mo- too much to let us go without a fight. Okay, so even though... Um, it may have been a little while before Jonah sensed God's involvement. We know that he was there and he was listening. The third thing is that God answered Jonah's call. Okay, and that was the second part of verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Look at this. God answered Jonah even though Jonah basically said, forget you, God, I'm done with you. I don't want to do what you want me to do. In fact, I'm going to run as far away from you as impossible as that is, as I possibly can. But yet God still listened to him and he still answered. Does God always answer prayer? Yes. Um, although people complain all the time, well, God's not answering my prayer. God's... What do people usually mean when they say God's not answering my prayer? He didn't say yes. He's not doing what I want him to do. <laughs> but God always answers. I mean, we want the yes answer, but sometimes God's answer is no. Sometimes it's wait. I want to do that, but the timing's not right. Like that eight-year-old that says, let me go drive the tractor, Daddy. <laughs> you know, or let me drive the car to the corner store or something, you know. Uh, children think they're capable of doing all kinds of stuff that we as adults like, well, you need to wait a little bit on that. And God does the same thing to us. Sometimes it's conditional. God says, yeah, I'd love to do that, but you got to do this first. You know? But God always answers. There's just different kinds of answers. So God answered Jonah's call. The fourth one is God brought Jonah up out of the crisis, up out of the crisis. So between verse 2 and 6, it talks about this whole process. He's going down, 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 down. The the currents are sweeping around him. The seaweed's wrapping around him, um, getting down to the bottom, the roots of the mountains, you know, the place where he believes Sheol, the grave is. But then you get down to verse 6. It says, um, I went down to the land whose bar is closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, uh, O Lord my God. As I said, some translations, that word for yet can also be translated but. This was all happening to me, but you brought me up. There was a turning point here. We talked about this last lesson. When you're running from God, the only place you can go is down. 
All right. And that is illustrated by this story. In chapter one, we see it says that Jonah went down to Joppa, which was the seaport. And then he went down into the ship. And when he got down into the ship, he laid down. And then when he was thrown in, he went down into the sea, down to the bottom of the sea, down to the pit, it says. Basically, he'd hit bottom. All right. Jonah's circumstances are just spiraling out of control. But then he finally calls out to God and God turns it around. He turns it around. Now, notice something here that when he calls out to God, he, God doesn't just immediately pluck him out of the sea, set him on the shore. He's all dry. He's all nice and neat, ready to go forward. No, God hasn't swallowed by this fish. He's in the fish for three days, three nights, you know. And in the same way, when we cry out to God, he doesn't always just deliver us and take care of all the details immediately. Sometimes there's a process to go through for all the reasons we've already talked about. He's trying to help us to grow and to learn and mature in our faith. And sometimes it's just plain consequences to our disobedience. Yeah. So anyway, he says, but you brought me up. You brought me up. Why did God do it? Did Jonah deserve it? No. Why did God do it? Because he had a plan? Okay, so he had a plan and he needed Jonah to fulfill it? So if Jonah didn't do it, God's plan could not be fulfilled? I'm playing the devil's advocate. Could God not have used somebody else? Yes, but he didn't want to, right? He wanted Jonah because he cared about Jonah. Again, he didn't want to just toss him aside because he messed up big time one time. All right. It's because of God's grace and mercy. You know, we said the subtitle of this whole series is uh, God of Grace and Mercy, and His grace and mercy is all the way through this. You know, um, He didn't give up on him. It's a lot like salvation. Um, Jonah had nothing to do with his his salvation from the fish, uh, from the from the sea. Okay, he was totally helpless. Without God, he was hopeless. He didn't deserve it. He couldn't earn it. Just like salvation. You know? As far as our sin and our relationship with God, we're totally helpless. Without God, we're hopeless. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Um, but yet God in His mercy and grace sent Jesus to die for us. And when we call out to Him, He responds. Uh, the fifth thing that God did, God delivered Jonah from the crisis. Which is similar to four, God brought Jonah up out of the crisis, but this is a final deliverance. And some of our final deliverances won't be till we get to the end of life. Some will happen before then. But we see this in verse 10, when it says, The Lord spoke to the fish after three days, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Why three days? Why didn't God just have the fish scoop Jonah up, swim to the shore, and spit him out? Any thoughts? I mean, this is all speculation because the Bible doesn't say. Why do you think God let him be in there for three days? What are some possible reasons? Chris? Yeah, looking ahead, it's going to become an example um, of what Jesus is going to go through when he dies and he's in the, in, in, in the grave. You know, he says, just like Jonah was in the belly of three days and three nights, son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So God's going to use that in the future. Okay, so that's a very important reason. But in Jonah's day and age, with Jonah himself, why do you think, or what are some possible reasons why God let him stay in there for three days and three days, three nights instead of making it a lot shorter? What? 
You want him to suffer a little bit? You know, that's, you know, it's like, how do you decide how long your kid's going to be in timeout, right? Your grandkid. Well, it depends. <laughs> you know, considering what Jonah did, it's a good thing God didn't say, hey, I'm going to leave you there for about a month. <laughs> you know, Michelle. As a testimony to the sailors? If they even knew, I mean, we don't know whether they knew what happened to him, but they could have. We, we don't know. But yeah, if the sailors found out what happened to him, it'd be a great testimony to the sailors. Yeah. I, I read this. It says, it didn't take Jonah three days to change his mind. It took Jonah three days to learn his lesson. I like that. I'm sure that once Jonah got swallowed, he's ready to be delivered from the fish. But had he really learned his lesson? You know, sometimes God will let us to continue in circumstances so we can learn our lesson. He's not being mean, you know. He just wants us to learn a lesson. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Be- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He definitely learned... Well, you know, we could say he definitely learned his lesson. He did it in the moment, but yet he didn't totally learn his lesson, did he? In the sense that at the end, he's like, thank you... I almost said thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for delivering me. God is salvation, but he doesn't want to extend that to the Ninevites. He still doesn't want to extend that to the Ninevites. He learned the lesson to a degree for himself, but not enough to take it and apply it to other people, which is really one of the reasons the whole story is there for us, you know, uh, and we'll continue to see as we go forward. Uh, Andy Stanley, a great preacher, he put it this way. He says, God is thorough with his discipline. God's purpose was not to pay him back, but to bring him back. I like that. Okay. Last week we talked about how our worst nightmare may be just the thing that we need. I would say that probably most of the time when we're in a difficult situation and God doesn't deliver us immediately, he's definitely waiting a lot longer than we want him to. And again, this is a great time to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Especially if we learn the lesson, he's going to take it away. But it's a good time to ask that. So all these things that God did, God did here. He listened. He delivered. You know, it was a process. He wanted Jonah to learn some things. He wanted to, 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 to help him get on the right track. But a lot of what God did was based on what Jonah did. Okay? So what did Jonah do? Number one. Yes, Tim, go ahead. Oh, I got you. Okay, so, you know, God, we see from the beginning of creation, God wanted to spend time with his people. He spent time with Adam and Eve. And, of course, sin broke that off. And he said, so maybe the time in the fish was for that more communication between him and God. Okay, he definitely had Jonah's attention, I'm sure. <laughs> Jonah was not distracted by too much, probably. We're going to talk about that some more next week. You know, once he got uh, vomited up on the shore, we see that he's willing to obey God, even though it's still reluctantly. And it's really interesting. We'll talk about this maybe more next week. And then they said, you know, can you imagine what Jonah looked like after it looked like and smelled like after being in this big fish, all the gastric juices, you know, and everything, you know, and whatever else the, the big fish had eaten and stuff, and he's up on the shore, and which, you know, a lot of times we get this idea because the story just d- hits all the main parts. We vomited up on the shore, and then in a very short time he's at Nineveh. He's still got 500 miles to go. Now, Nineveh's not on the shore. It's 500 miles away um, from the closest shore. So 
Um, but still, can you imagine what he might have looked like? So let's look at what Jonah did then. Number one, and this is important for us. When we get into a crisis, whether it's our own making or something else, what should we do? We can do the same things. Number one, Jonah remembered, quote, the Lord. That's what it says in verse 7. It says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Does this mean that he had literally forgotten about God? No. What does it mean? He called out to him. He turned his attention to him. Okay. And by the way, this, this is a phrase that's used in Scripture in a number of different ways. And it also helps us understand a little bit more about God. And maybe you've had this question before because it talks about how God remembered something. Okay, he says he remembered this individual or he remembered this situation. It's like, well, if God knows all things, how could he forget? That's not talking about that he forgot. Okay, in the Hebrew, when it says something, it basically means he turned his attention to it because it's a tippy. Before then, his attention was not focused on it. But now he's turning his attention back to it. And that's what it's saying here. It wasn't that Jonah had literally forgotten about God. He had just put him out of his mind. He didn't want to think about him. Can, can we relate? I mean, you don't have to testify. You don't have to confess. But when we're doing something we know we shouldn't, are we likely to really think a lot about God? It's like, nope, push him out of my mind. You know, <laughs> basically, we're running away from God, aren't we? You know, do what? Well, yeah, we're, you're getting ahead of me now. <laughs> I'm just teasing with you, Sharon. That is one of the later points. He did recommit his life to the Lord. But so the first step, though, was that he put his attention back on God. He's been ignoring God. He's been running from God. He didn't want to think about him. We do the same thing when we deliberately don't think about God when we're being disobedient. How many times have we maybe been pulled by our flesh to go a certain direction? We know it's wrong. God's spirit is speaking to us, and we kind of push him aside. It's like that old cartoon that actually has a little bit of biblical truth behind it with the devil on the one shoulder and the angel on the other. And, you know, the devil's trying to talk you into doing something bad and the angel says, no, don't do that, don't do that, you know. And and sometimes in the cartoons, the devil and angel get into a fight and whatever, you know. But we're pulled, right, between our flesh and God's spirit. And anytime we say, I'm following the flesh and we just kind of shut down the spirit. That's why Paul says, don't grieve the spirit, don't quench the spirit. You know, that's all part of that, Okay. So Jonah remembered the Lord. So when we find ourselves in a crisis and stuff, again, we can ask God, what am I, what, what are you doing here? How did I get here? What can I learn from this? But the important thing is that we put our attention back on Him. If we, especially if we know that we've been ignoring Him. Especially if we know that we've been pushing Him out of the, out of our uh, attention span. You know, out of our, can't think of the right word I want to use there. So the second thing, um, Jonah called to the Lord. Jonah called to the Lord. Uh, we read that in verse one. When it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Okay. He's finally praying. And again, the text seems to indicate it isn't until he gets to the very bottom of the ocean that he's finally calling out to God. All right. Um, God had finally got his attention. Why do you think he waited that long? Again, the scripture doesn't tell us he didn't have to. He could have prayed to God while he was laying in his bed in the boat. Maybe they could have avoided the, uh, avoided the last part of the storm and being thrown in the... Why do you think Jonah waited that long? Vita? Uh, stubborn. Stubbornness. That's right. I don't think he wanted to change his direction till he had to. Yeah, Joan? He wanted it his way. Aren't you glad none of us are ever that way? Yeah. We do the same thing. 
Could be you got embarrassed. Have you ever been in a situation, known somebody was in a situation, so I can't call out to God now. Look at after all I've done, you know, I'd be embarrassed to go to God. You know, pride, embarrassment, whatever. It doesn't matter what the barrier is. We need to turn our attention to God. We need to call out to God. Okay. Um, number three, Jonah held on to hope. Where do I get that from? I get that from verse four. He says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. In other words, he basically says, I admit, God, I have been running away from you, and now pff, I am about as far from your presence as I can get, which we can't literally do, but that's the way he feels. But he goes on, he says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That's kind of a phrase, it's like, what exactly did it mean by that? But the only thing I can really draw from that, and it seems like a lot of other Bibles, is that Jonah is still clinging to hope. You know what, God, I've run about as far and as fast as I can get, but you've not given up on me. And so I'm coming back. He still has that hope that God's not given up to him. Okay, uh, In that day and age, the practice was to pray toward the temple because that's where God's presence was. I mean, the Muslims still do that to Allah. You know, We don't have to do that because God is right with us and, and his spirit dwells within us. But um, even in the Old Testament, when the temple was built and dedicated, Solomon says, Lord, when your people are away from the temple or terrible things are happening or they've been carried into exile, if they turn towards your temple, not because it's some kind of holy place by itself, but because that's where God's presence was. Okay? And so Jonah held on to hope. And that's just listen, don't give up hope. There is always hope. There's always hope. Number four, this goes to Sharon's point. Jonah recommitted himself to the Lord. You see that down in verse 9. He says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. It's interesting if you compare this to chapter 1. It says that the sailors made sacrifices to Yahweh, Jonah's God, and made vows to him because God had delivered them from the storm. Now, Jonah is basically saying the same thing. So it's kind of a theme that goes through uh, at least this part of the book. He says, um, I will sacrifice to you. In the Old Testament, people would offer sacrifices. God had asked for them uh, for a couple of reasons, to receive forgiveness, to worship, and to fellowship with God. So basically, he's saying, God, I want to be back in right relationship with you. All right? Um, I'm going to walk with you from now on. I'm going to do what you want me to do. All right, And then he says, and what I have vowed, I will pay. We don't know what he vowed, but what are some things that he possibly could have vowed after this experience? I'll go to Nineveh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll, he maybe said, God, from now on, I'll just do whatever you ask me. Could it be a general blanket, Lord, I'm going to obey you? Could have been a specific thing. God, I'm ready to go. I'll go. We know that's what he did. He went to Nineveh, okay? Now, please understand, we're not talking about making a deal with God. God doesn't make deals. Okay, it's not like, well, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. That's not the way it works. It's like any other relationship. We don't want people to make deals with us. But if we're in close relationship with somebody, it's like, okay, we're in close relationship, and so if you do this for me, I'll do this for you, and, and this builds our relationship, and that kind of thing. And that's the idea here. It's like, God, you delivered me, and I blew it. I ran away from you, so I'm, I'm ready to worship you again. I'm ready to follow you, and I'm ready to obey you, okay? And so, Lord, I'm just going to do it, all right? I saw a movie one time when I was a kid. I have no idea what movie it was, but it was this guy, and he fell off a boat or something. He's drowning, and he says, God, I've never had anything to do with you. But if you'll save me, I'll keep all Ten Commandments the rest of my life. And he gets closer and closer to shore. And as he gets closer, he says, Lord, 
get me there. I'm going to keep nine of the ten. And the closer he gets to the shore, it keeps getting less and less and less. I don't even know why. That's six in my mind because it's, that's the way we are as people, isn't it? We make these deals with God, but then we don't want to keep our end of it. So if anybody recognizes that movie, tell me what it was. I, I saw it when I was a little kid. I have no idea. So anyway. So I, the last thing I put in your note sheet is what are some, what's some advice that Jonah would give us? And it's here in the text, okay? Uh, the first piece of advice is don't do what I did. <laughs> now, he's not talking about confessing and getting things right, but running from God. Don't do what I did. If you jump back to verse 8, there's another one of those phrases like, what exactly did he mean by that? He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And he says, you know what? If you're not going to serve the true God, if you're going to go a different direction, you can give up on the idea of experiencing God's wonderful love, his grace, and his mercy. Okay? He says, don't do what I did. I ran from God, and I just ran out from God's protection and his grace and his mercy. Thankfully, God brought him back. So his piece of advice is, don't do what I did. All right, now he's talking here about those who pay regard to vain idols. We don't, do we pay any regard to vain idols today? We might say no, because we think of idols as little statues you bow down to, but you know what an idol is? It's anything we put before God. What are some idols that we have today? Children, what? Social media? TV? Phones? Food, you know, just about anything that we fixate on, that we find satisfaction in, that we pursue, you know, sex, money, power, popularity, all those things can be idols. And so there's a great piece of advice here for people today. If you decide to pursue, pursue anything other than God, you're giving up a lot of what God has for you. So anyway, Jonah says, don't do what I did. Okay, and the second one is, if you do, turn to God for salvation, all right? Turn to God for salvation. You've messed up, got yourself in difficulty, turn to God. Verse 9, at the very end, says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, we often think of salvation as salvation from sin, and of course, that's the most basic needed salvation we need, okay? It's salvation from sin so we can be in relationship with God, but also salvation from the junk in our lives, salvation from the crises we're in, whether we made the crisis ourselves or it just is part of living in the world. Jesus, God, is the source of salvation. Okay. So as we wrap this up, again, the series subtitle is God is Gracious and Merciful. Where is God's grace and mercy in this story, in this part of the story? Everywhere, Right? He didn't give up on Jonah. When Jonah called, he's listening to him. He's watching him. He's paying attention. When Jonah finally calls out, he, he responds. He does something. Vita, you had your hand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just about being saved, but growing in our relationship with the Lord and becoming more and more the person he created us and he's called us to be, which includes sanctification. Yeah, purifying our lives. So Jonah called to God from the point farthest from God he could possibly get a place of rebellion and misery, helplessness, desperation, and fear. But whether he realized it or not, God is there all along the way, just waiting for Jonah to learn his lesson and to call out to him 
and to ask for his help. And the same thing is true for us too. Now, I don't want to minimize anybody that goes through anything, which we all have probably been there, of really, really tough. It's like, well, I have been calling out to God. I have been. I still don't sense his presence, and I still don't know why things are going. And that's where I just say, don't give up hope. If God is waiting, if you truly are open and honest before him, say, God, I'm sorry. If you know you've messed up, you know, I'm open. Show me anything, Lord, and you still don't sense he's doing. Again, remember, the teacher's quiet during the test. God is doing something. Just keep clinging. Keep calling out to him. Don't give up hope. He will come through. He will come through. And, and somebody specifically may need to hear that tonight. Maybe somebody listen to the recording later. Maybe several somebodies. Don't give up hope. Just keep calling out to God. Turn to Him. And turn to Him with repentance if you need to. You know, I mean, if you know you've done something wrong, you haven't asked Him to forgive you, that's the first step right there. Right there. But don't give up. Don't give up. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together tonight to look at your word. This very interesting story of Jonah. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us. Lord, we've learned a lot about how this applies to our lives. Help us to do it. God, if there's anything in our life that's not pleasing to you, any area in which we've been trying to shut down your voice, we've been trying to not listen to you because we want to go our own way, God, I just pray you bring the conviction on, Lord, that we would not be able to get away from that. And we just surrender that to you. God, we thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, God, and help us to walk in that. God, I just pray that you'd work in the lives of our loved ones, Lord God, who haven't realized that yet. And help us, Lord God, to be able to demonstrate that to them. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And one last thing, Lord God, I pray for anybody that's going through a difficult time right now. If there's anything they need to do about it, Lord God, whether it's confess something, or maybe they don't need to confess something, but there's something else they need to do, Lord, make that very, very clear so they can do it. But Lord, I just pray that you would deliver them from that situation as soon as possible. And in the process, help us all to grow closer to you and become more the people that you've called us and created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, Go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.